Good morning, church. We're on campus at beautiful Oklahoma Baptist University. And what we're doing today in service is kind of what they do here is train up young and new preachers of the gospel. And it's one thing that we're passionate about at Northwest Baptist is training people to be pastors and preachers of the gospel. And so one of the ways we're going to do this this morning is have a bunch of pastors preaching the messages all the way through Acts. So get excited for that this morning. But they're going to preach for five minutes. And each of those five minutes, we're going to put a number on the screen. That five minutes is going to be on the screen and you're going to be able to see that they only have five minutes to preach the passage. So encourage them this morning. Walk with them through the text. Be engaged because we want to raise up people that can take the gospel not only to the ends of the earth but open this word and preach it with boldness and, and clarity. And uh, I hope you enjoy the sermon blitz this morning. Here's our first pastor this morning. morning church uh, go with me to Acts to Acts 18 verse 18 to 28 and I'm not gonna read the whole text because we don't have much time I don't have much time so I'm gonna I'm going to do my best to illustrate you what has happened before and what's happening on our, on our text so Paul was at the end of his second missionary journey and he had gone to the city of Corinth, where he had been for 18 months. And he had also met a man named Aquila and his wife, Priscilla. They both were believers. And after, after this, we see that Paul leaves on his way to Jerusalem. And he passes shortly to the city of Ephesus. Then he arrives to Jerusalem. And he, he finally goes to Antioch, where he stays for a while. And then he leaves again and, and starts his third missionary journey, going to the, the region of Galatia, straightening the brothers and sisters who were there. And in verse 24, we see that Apollos, Apollos is in Ephesus. In verse 24 says that in the meantime, while Paul was starting his third missionary journey, a man named Apollo came to Ephesus, and he came from Alexandria. And Apollos was an eloquent man. He was com com competent in the scriptures, and he was teaching in the synagogue when when he was teaching on the synagogue, when Priscilla and Aquila, whom Paul had met on, on Corinth before, they were in Ephesus. And when they, they, they saw um, Apollos teaching in the synagogue, they took, they took him apart with them and explained, and explained to him more 
about the way of God. So after that, he wanted to go to another place to encourage more brothers and sisters about what he has already known. And the brothers and sisters who were with them in Ephesus encouraged, encouraged him to go. And they even recommended him with the disciples who were there to receive him. And he, he goes to this place, and in verse 27, we see that it was of great benefit for the brothers and sisters who were there. Because he publicly refuted the Jews by showing by scripture that Jesus was the Christ. So my brothers and sisters, most new believers need help learning more about the Christian life. It would not be logical to expect to new converted believers to know much about all the Christianity life when they have just been saved. Priscilla and Aquila led him apart and taught Apollos the way of the Lord. It's the exact same thing we should do. So you who consider yourself mature and strong in the faith, your job is to not put yourself in the position of a judge and to condemn new believers or weak brothers and sisters. Your job is to walk with them, is to teach them the way of the Lord. And you who are new in the faith, do not pretend to know all, my brother. Apollo obviously listened to Aquila and Priscilla. So if you're a new believer, open your heart to the brothers, to other brothers and sisters. And let yourself be disciple and learn and learn more about the, the the Lord, the word of the Lord. And you who teach you who teach the word of God. Apollo defended the gospel and protected the gospel by demonstrating by scripture that Jesus was the Christ. So you who teach the word, my brother, preach Christ. Exalt his name. May your preaching exalt and glorify the name of Jesus Christ and be a blessing for the saints. And you who are here without Jesus Christ, I beg you to look to him and to repent from your sins and confess him as Lord and Savior. So you preach the gospel to yourself, to others, and you remember the gospel every single day because that's the only thing that's going to help us to do all of this. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to learn about your word. Uh, I ask you to please help help us to understand, to help others, to love them, to walk with them, and to be a blessing uh, to them as other brothers and sisters have been a blessing to us. And Lord, we thank you for, for your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The 
was a time that I swore I would never go back. I was blind to the truth, didn't know what I had. I was running, I was searching, but every place I turned for heat left me more broken than the last. Take me back to the place that feels like home, to the people I can depend on. Amen. Well, what an amazing man of God as he is, and uh, I'm so grateful to hear from him this morning. Um, In Acts 19, we pick up, Paul has entered the inland area. Apollos has stayed behind. He's, He's gone to Corinth. He stayed behind, and Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples there, and he heard them talking, and there was something peculiar about their speech because he asked them a question that we do not normally hear. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so taking a step back, Luke is writing Acts, as we, as we know, and he's, it is an account of the ministry of the apostles. And he is focusing primarily on two things. He's focusing on the spread of the gospel, and he's focusing on the Spirit of God coming upon the church. And we see this first um, in uh, Jerusalem with the Jews who believed. We see this with the Samaritans who believe. We see this with the Gentiles, finally, both near Jerusalem and far away, and that's where we are now. We're far away from Jerusalem. We're in Asia Minor. We're all the way to Europe. And so, Um, Paul here is listening to these disciples, and he asked them in verse 3, into what then were you baptized? And they said, chapter 19, into John's baptism. You see, the Jewish people were accustomed to baptism. They understood baptism. It wasn't foreign to them. Uh, First and foremost, the baptism was a ritual Uh, of entering into the holy place of God. Individuals, items were baptized. And then later on, especially, those Gentiles who came to believe and wanted to become immersed into the Jewish community, they were baptized. And so this was not a foreign concept to them. However, what Paul was saying is, you only know of the baptism of John, and that is a baptism of repentance. But he realized they didn't know the full extent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he shares with them that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he ministered, that he healed the sick, that he died on the cross for our sin, that he rose from the dead. And they immediately, it says, were baptized into the name of Jesus, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So the call to us is clear today, and this is what God is saying to us. And they received the Holy Spirit. God wants for each one of us, wherever, whatever you're facing, wherever you are in this place today, he wants for you to know that the best thing you can possibly do today, whether you've been a member of a church on the rolls, so to speak, for 40 years, 50 years, or whether this is the first time you've ever sat with a group of believers in the congregation, he would... If he is calling you today to repent of your sin, to turn to Christ, to confess him as Lord, do that today. And then the evidence 
of doing that is baptism. That's the evidence. That's the evidence that God has done what Ezekiel said he would do. He would remove from us a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And he said, I will put my spirit within you. Maybe you're here today and you feel like I have no energy for the Christian life. I have no energy for the walk. I'm tired. I, 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 don't, I can't do this. I can't add this. God doesn't want you to add anything. He doesn't want you to enter into religion. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's his invitation to you today. I will be down here, down front, along with other pastors. You want to give your life to Christ, you give it to him today. We'll baptize you today if you want to be baptized. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. We know there are those you are calling to salvation right now. And we pray, dear God, that um, we would uh, block out those things that would keep us from you. And that we would fall to our knees in our hearts and submit to you and follow you. Because Christ, you did rise from the dead. And you are Lord, and we believe that in Jesus' name. Amen. kind of fun. I'm excited to do this with you this morning. I'm usually up here for a lot longer than this, so you're going to get me for a short time this morning. But in this section in Acts 19, 11 through 20, we will see that the fear of the Lord brings about repentance and awakening. The fear of the Lord will bring about repentance by God's people and awakening for God's people. In some ways, in some events, God reminds his people that his name is to be feared and revered. You heard that? His name is to be feared and revered. In this case this morning, the story of the sons of Sceva, God even uses the demonic evil spirits to remind people that using the name of Christ for your own personal gain and self-centered interest will not be tolerated in the kingdom of God. Here's the story. Verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that, he, that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. You see, some of the sons of the Jewish high priest caught wind of this and said, man, there must be power in the name of Jesus. I'm going to start using the name of Jesus to tell evil spirits to come out of people. I'm going to start using the name of Jesus for what I want to use it for. So they were going around saying, the name of Jesus in whom Paul preaches come out. But there was a problem. Uh-oh. There's a problem. Verse 15, what's the problem? But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? 
That's a good question. I'm going to ask it. Who are you? Are you just some dude going around invoking the name of Jesus? Are you someone who has been washed, who has been changed, who has been restored, redeemed, who has been declared righteous, a son, a daughter of the king, one in whom the Holy Spirit dwells? Are you an ambassador for Christ coming to push back darkness in the name of the king of kings and lord of lords? Or are you just someone who has a fish on the back of your car? Calling on the name of Jesus when you need him, like a charm bracelet or a rabbit's foot helping you accomplish what you want. Who are you? What happens next? Verse 16 here. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Man. Who are you? I believe we as the body of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, should not fear the strongholds and the bondage of this city. I believe God in his power wants his people to go and push back darkness. Brothers and sisters, you should have confidence that Christ is with you when you reach your neighborhood. You should not fear those that may stand in opposition to the word of the Lord. You should not be afraid of people who are in bondage with your life if you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But if Jesus is one of just the many flags that you fly and you use his name when you need something, I would be very leery in continuing to ride that fence. Either you are his and the word of the Lord is with you in power or you are not. The enemy will expose you for who you really are. Verse 17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. God shows us clearly he's not a God that we can put into a box and make him what we want him to be. He is not a toy that can be used and then thrown away. He is not someone who is to be taken lightly. He is the God of the universe, and therefore we should have reverence and awe and fear of his name. What's the result of this passage? The name of the Lord Jesus is lifted high and magnified, extolled and glorified. Why? Because someone thought he could use God for his own purposes and God humiliated because of it. Verse 18, and many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. The fear of the Lord began a great revival, starting with repentance and complete turning to the Lord. One piece of silver was average one day's wages. That's $6.8 million in today's money. They burned it. They said we can't ride the fence. We can't do it. They said we realize there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. They realize that the church is not a rotary club, not a Kiwanis club. It's not a Lions club. It's not a fraternity or a sorority. It is the church, the church that loves Jesus Christ and lives his mission. And guess what happens when they did that? 
When they turned, they didn't ride the fence, and they repented of all their wicked ways. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevailed mightily. May we be a people that don't ride the fence, that begin burning those things that held us captive that are against God's word and God himself. Awaken your soul to the Lord, fear him, and watch the Lord work. Father, we thank you for our time. We thank you for this, this morning in your word. May you give us the ability to repent and turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I look around and all I see A burning buildings, barren trees Hopelessness is starting to wreak havoc Son of man, I know you see The deepest depths unknown to me You have planted seeds among the ashes You rebuild Ephesus. Ephesus. They are leaving Ephesus. Paul in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, starts feeling the Spirit move him to move. A little background. Ephesus was the second most important place in the, during Roman Empire. We had Rome, the Roman province of Asia Minor, and we had Ephesus, which was basically the financial center of that place. Ephesus was founded under the temple of Artemis or, or different names, Astaroth. And, and there was a great financial center there. There were um, artisans that created and developed um, different trinkets and different statues and different things. And they would come to the temple of Artemis in Ephesus to, to worship, to bring offering, to deposit their wealth, kind of like in a bank or a banking financial system. But what happened? The Christians, the way, the, the disturbance in the force. And the gospel started to be pre preached. The gospel started to impact. The gospel started to bring change. Because where the gospel is preached, there will always be change. And when we think about this, Change will bring other repercussions also. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41. There was a change because the individual gets saved, then another individual gets changed, and another, and another, and another, and another. And you get, you get, you get where I'm going with this. And, um, and suddenly the culture of the place where the gospel is preached, starts to change. And this is what happened in Ephesus. And when change starts to occur, when change starts to happen, we start to make our peers uncomfortable. Because we don't spend our money how we used to spend it. Because we don't start acting the same way where we used to act. Because our priorities changed. And this is what happened in Acts, when the gospel started change, when, when the gospel started being preached, Paul, just a reminder, he didn't stay there like a week. He was there for three years preaching the gospel. And, 
in verse 23, it says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way is the gospel. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So Demetrius, he's, 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 the, he's the main one here in the story. He's the main one in this part of Acts. And, and he, he riled up the people. Why? Because their wallets were being affected. Because as change happens, the gospel transforms our individual and it transforms the culture. So this is happening. And, and it starts and he riots up and the city, we're not talking about two, three people. We're talking about a whole city in an uproar. And they go into one of these like old style Roman amphitheaters. And there they're having like Artemis is the goddess, Artemis is the goddess, or something like that. And they're there. And, and there are Jews there that they want. They have Alexander there. They're pushing him in there. But as soon as they find out that he's a Jew, they just like, you got to step to the side. We're not here right now. And this happened for two long hours. And at one point, Paul was also going to go into the crowd, into the riot, into that Greek theater, and, and start debating. Remember, Paul, Paul, was, Paul, Paul knew, knew his gospel. And his disciples and his friends told him to wait. So he did not go in. So... Change will happen no matter what when the gospel is preached. Change will also will be met with resistance. But change because of the gospel being preached will always impact our community. And at the end of the day, be what it is, the Lord will always come out glorified. The Lord will always come out glorified. Our calling is to preach. Our calling is to be witness. Our calling is to impact our nation, our culture, our workplace. Let us pray. Señor, te damos gracias por esta, por esta mañana, porque podemos adorarte, porque podemos exaltar tu nombre. Te presentamos esta palabra. En tu nombre hemos orado. Amén, Señor, amén. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fail never enough. Then you came along. heart is beating so loud. I can hear it. Um, all right, here we go. This is super, super exciting. Um, we are in Acts 20, verses 1 through 6. As you guys could probably see on the video and the map, Paul covers a lot of ground in this passage, so try not to get tripped up with all of the names. I had to look up how to say them. So in Acts 20, 1 through 6, is a passage Luke included so that the historical count of Paul's missionary journey could be kept. But like all of scripture, as you guys have clearly seen today, the Lord uses these passages to show us a deep truth that lies in the life of every person who has put their faith in the reviving work of Jesus on the cross. 
So let's read this passage together. In verse 1 of Acts 20, it says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was heading, about to head to Syria, set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Tophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we, that is including Luke, sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we, set, where we stayed for seven days. If you haven't gotten it yet, giving your life to Jesus is the most satisfying and most fulfilling thing that any human being could do. And every believer in this room and on this earth has been saved for God's glory, to reveal God's glory to the nations. By his grace, his Holy Spirit has been given to all Christians so that we can fulfill that purpose together, as Kyle beautifully explained. Therefore, one of the things God is teaching us through this passage is this. The purpose of God is fulfilled by those who are in community. The purpose of God is fulfilled by those who are in community. I mean, take a look at the passage. Paul, who stayed away from the riot and the uproar in Ephesus, afterward called everyone together, and they gathered for a specific purpose. They gathered so that they could encourage one another. So what does it mean to encourage one another in the same way that Paul encouraged the Ephesians here? In order to understand that question, we have to understand one very important fact. Paul spent about three years in Ephesus together with these people. And during that time, they all walked closely with God and with one another to see God glorified in thousands of lives. Together, they all had experienced great joy and great hardships. So knowing this, shallow compliments and maybe cute quotes to encourage seem like such a small comment compared to the Holy Spirit-given joy they had experienced together. Paul encouraged them by reminding them of what God had done through them. As Acts 19.10 says, that through them all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was doing amazing things through them. So in the same vein, Northwest, as we encourage one another, we want to encourage one another. By speaking to specific struggles in our lives and calling us back to rest in the peace of God that comes when we trust that because God has glorified himself in the past, he will glorify himself now and he will glorify himself in the future. Regardless of what darkness surrounds us, we encourage one another, not by anecdotes or quotes, but in reminder of the character of God through our loved and dear community. Which leads us perfectly into the next couple verses. Remember, the purpose of God is fulfilled by those who are in community. We see in verses four through six that Luke takes eight men of God, Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Tophimus, and Luke, all went with Paul back through Macedonia to continually go out and share and encourage the believers that are there in those, that area. They went with him on his journey so that they could be in community as they went. This is huge because often we may view Paul as a powerhouse of a man when in reality Luke intentionally shows us that he was really a normal man surrounded by a powerhouse of Holy Spirit filled people. One could say that Paul would not have been nearly as effective if he was without these men. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we must operate by faith in God with deep community. That is why community groups is so emphasized here is because without it we are ineffective. So brothers and sisters, in response to this passage, when we go to share the gospel, go in community. When we are struggling, struggle in community. When we are rejoicing, rejoice in community. And when we are walking with God, walk with him in community. Why? 
because the power of God is fulfilled by those who are in community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for your Holy Spirit being here and for uniting us together. Lord, I pray that we would continually walk with you in community, that you would unite us in such a way that other people would see our closeness and glorify you, that other people would worship because we are going out with one another. I pray that you would glorify yourself here and that you would be known in the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. No, I won't fear. No, I won't worry. I know you're here. So who can bring me down? You never leave. You don't forget me. You're listening. Man, I feel like Scott deserves a degree in Greek for learning all those names in that last chapter. <laughs> uh, we're going to be in Acts 20. Uh, verses 7 through 16, but I'm going to just read uh, verses 7 through 12. It says this, On the first day of the week, when we, were walk- when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, funnily enough, that means uh, good luck in Greek, uh, was sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him into his arms, he said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, he had broken bread and eaten. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not little comforted. Uh, so a quick summary of what's going on here. Paul is going back through all the areas where he had been proclaiming the gospel all throughout Asia Minor. And he was stopping in each of these spots, spending time with believers specifically to encourage them and challenge them through God's words. Through God's word. And while he was in Troas, he was preaching well into the night. He stayed for, the, for just a week. Uh, stayed well into the night. And a young man, because he was, was probably at the end of the day, he's probably tired, fell out of a third story window to his death. And so Paul then ran out and took him into his arms, and the Lord revived him. And because of this revival, because of what God had done in the life of Eutychus, he, the, the, the people were encouraged all the more. And so as I would like to make a joke about this being the first recorded instant, true recorded instance of youth ministry when we have students falling asleep in the middle of service, <laughs> I think that we see a huge principle in here that is so, so important for us. And it's both a goal of discipleship when we come to church, and it's also a goal of God when we gather together as believers. And that is this, the encouragement of the believers for the advancement of the gospel. At the end of the passage, it says that people were comforted all the more. This word comforted, encouraged, it's the same word that was being used in verses 1 through 6, where Paul was coming together with these believers and encouraging them so that they, that they have a self-sustaining church that they would trust in the Lord, that they would grow in their relationship with, with God. And so we, uh, we see that the fact that this is the first documented passage where people were gathering, not on just the Sabbath, but on the first day of the week for the sake of breaking bread and gathering around God's words for this, for this encouragement. And so I ask myself this then, because this is such a strange story. How are we supposed to obey? How are we supposed to, to, to follow God in this? Because not many of us, I'm guessing, have probably 
been in a church service where a student fell three stories during the middle of church and then got watched God revive them. I'm assuming that's probably not happened. Church, we have to ask this, this question of ourselves. Why do we gather here today on Sundays? Why do we gather here today and sit in these services? Is it so that we can sit and just receive God's word and, just, and, and, and listen to a good teacher? Or, or do, we, do we come here so that we can, can listen to a good speaker and then take some really good notes in, in our notebook journal and then go like, look back on it a few years from now and say, oh yeah, that was a nice sermon that one time. Or do we even sometimes come to church to take a nap just in the middle of service? No. When we gather together as believers, when we meet together at church, it is for the sake of encouraging one another, of being challenged in one another and comforting one another. What would have happened if, if, uh, it, to this church is if as Paul is leaving, they had just lost another believer? What would have happened to the momentum? The church might have faded. The church might have fallen away and been discouraged. But God had come together and used Paul to protect this, this student, this kid, so that that way that whenever he left the next day, he, continued to, he was able to continue to preach and continue to encourage the believers all the more in their day-to-day lives. Church, there's been a lot of uh, things that have, been an oppor- that have been an opportunity for us to slow down in our church, for the gospel to have stopped advancing through Oklahoma City. With COVID, with just the political strife that's going on, there's so much that could have, could have happened. But we gather together for the sake of encouragement, for the sake of this gospel, so that we can challenge one another, so that we can go out and leave from here and, this, and go into our city and share this gospel. This is why we're involved in community groups. Church, there's, churches all over the nation have, have fallen by the wayside because of the, of the time that we're in. But the ones that have been thriving, the ones that have been surviving, were ones that had healthy small, group, uh, healthy small group in place where they were gathering together and they were encouraging one another and challenging one another whenever they got to meet around God's word and breaking bread in the Lord's Supper and in fellowship. So here, what's the one thing that, that you can just grab onto today? Well, there's actually two things. One thing is if you're not in the community group, I just challenge you to take that extra step and put yourself out there and meet with other believers. The second is this. Do not leave today. Do not leave this church service without going to a brother or sister in Christ and praying with them and challenging them in the gospel so that they can go and grow in their relationship with the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what it brings in our lives and the life that we get to speak into one another. God, I pray that right now that your Holy Spirit would continue to encourage your believers. God, we're grateful for who you are. God, we need you more than anything in our world. So Father, I just ask that you would would just bring us comfort and encouragement during this time and that we'd be able to walk away from here on fire and stir it up for your gospel so that we can continue to follow you, continue to worship you with our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven, 
Bibles to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Paul is about to leave Jerusalem. He's been there three years. And he's about to give his last words to the leaders and believers there. And he leaves them with an important task for them to do. And that is to oversee the flock. Now, why was this so important to Paul in that time? Why did he leave them that work, that task for them? Well, let us see the condition of the flock. We see new believers in this flock. We see, as we read the context, it, it talks about wolves, leaders, false leaders coming to attack them. They had issues with society, as we had heard in the different preachings. They were walking in dangerous world, full of darkness, idolatry, persecution. They were look, being looked by society as something that is not worth following. They made fun of them, they mocked them, they despised them, but not only by society, but also by their friends and family members. Why? Because they were believers. But let's also address this flock as believers themselves, like you and me. There were Christians that were broken, that had issues, that were hurt, that were discouraged, exhausted, struggling with sin, with people, with temptations. Everywhere they went, they were attacked. And so Paul addressed the leaders, these believers, and said, hey, oversee them. It's very important for us to see the condition and see where these people are, these believers coming up and following Jesus Christ. Why was this important? We saw the condition, not what the importance of this flock Oh, this flock wasn't just any person, any people, organization. This was the church of the living Christ. Amen. This was for the church that was being addressed by God and tell him to make disciples and preach the gospel to others. They were sent to preach the gospel and change the lives of many people there in Ephesus. This flock was an army that was being prepared to fight the good fight. They were prepared to go out there and be side by side as a community, as a church, as they were heading to battle against the enemy, against Satan, against the world. And, John, and Paul said, be overseers of them. It was a big task ahead of them. So that meant that they needed people that they were going to be encouraged, that they were going to be with them through the hard times, times of fear, times of isolation, times of tears, times of darkness. So he told them, be on your best guard. Don't lay down. They need you. And Paul knew this flock was going to go ahead and transform this city. They needed to be looked at, loved at, taken care of. And Paul reminded them. He even told them in the letter that he sent in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ 
has loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it meant so much for Paul, these believers, this flock. Paul was in was with them for three years. So it meant a lot for him. He had taken care of the flock of the church. And he reminded them that they needed to be taken care of. So he addressed pastors. He addressed them, the, the elders, take care of them. Now here at Northwest, we have pastors, deacons, teachers, leaders. And God has appointed you to take care of the flock. To take care of all the beautiful souls that are in this place listening to the word of God week by week. People that come broken. People that come and need salvation. He tells them, oversee them. He don't care. And we shouldn't care if they're small or tall. If they're young or old. If they're rich or poor. If they're strong or weak. If they've been believers for 30, 40 years. Or if they were just saved yesterday. He tells us and reminds us that we have to oversee the flock. And now let us come together northwest. Let us come together, pastors. Let us come together, deacons. Let us come together, teachers. Let us come together and love the church. Five seconds. I love Northwest. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, God, because you're a great God. And thank you for reminding us today, God, what is the gospel? What is, God, being in community? What is it, God, to live a life for you, God? What is it, God, to take care of one of each other, to take the burdens, God, of each other? And, God, we thank you, God. Amen. That was incredible. I, I think, uh, to me, yeah. We, we are incredibly blessed with not just these men, but many of you in our church that are equally capable of handling the word of God and encouraging one another. And that's what we're going to do in this time. We're going to respond to the word together in community the way that Cody challenged us. And in the same way that there were five or six different voices up here that you heard preaching the word, there was one singular message, wasn't there? The gospel changes. And that is where we bank our lives today. I'm going to encourage you, if you have notes, you can, you can write some of these things down. But um, these were themes that I picked up on that I think maybe the Lord could ask us to respond to. And I'm just going to ask you to examine your own heart. What are the things that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning? But there were themes of salvation of repentance that leads to awakening, that leads to transformation. There was a huge emphasis on all of these things happen within community. Every single time it's the people of God responding to God together. And then at the very end, what Mauricio said, are we guarding the salvation? And the key that stuck out to me in verse 28 was the last part. It's been purchased by what? By the blood of Jesus. Do we take advantage of what we've been given? Do we really value that it was the blood of Christ that brought this together this morning? We're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm shaking, you know, talking about this, but we walk up to this table or we take this and we do it in a passive way. And this morning, the Lord is asking you to respond with literally what we are celebrating, the death 
burial, and resurrection of Christ, that it cost him that because of my sin and your sin and our sin. But as the church, we've been redeemed. We've been put back together, restored for the value of bringing glory to his great name. So what we're going to do and what I would encourage you to do, we're going to have the number on screen. If you're uh, homebound and unable to be with us this morning but worshiping online, you can participate in this as well. I want you to turn to the person next to you, right or your left. Even if they're a stranger, I, I encourage you, be, be a little bit uncomfortable. That's part of being in community is breaking the ice and getting to know one another. But I want you to answer the question that Cody asked, which was, what has the Lord laid upon your heart today that you need to respond to? Is it one of these themes of maybe you have not placed your salvation completely in Christ and you need to do that now? If it's something that you've lived a lackluster Christian faith and today the Lord is awakening and stirring in you a desire for himself, respond to that. And if it's something that you need to be in community, what better way to start community than sharing that with someone sitting next to you today that you need their encouragement, you need the hope of the gospel displayed through relationships with others. And so just in the next couple of minutes, Kyle and Christian will lead us in a, in a song in a moment, but we don't want to hurry the opportunity to respond before we take the Lord's Supper and really understand what it is we're celebrating. Do we, do we value the blood of Christ and what he's done? And how is the Spirit leading you this morning? So just where you're sitting, turn to your neighbor. If it's a quick thought or some way that you can pray for one another, let's take advantage of the opportunity to be here as a people and share what is the Lord doing? What is he stirring? And then I'll pray for us in just a couple moments. We'll continue to worship through song of the Lord's Supper this morning.